How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. One sentence summary. How to Stop Worrying and Start Living is a self-help classic which addresses one of the leading causes of physical illness, worry, by showing you simple and actionable techniques to eliminate it from your life. My favorite quote from the author is, Let's not allow ourselves to be upset by small things we should despise and forget. Remember, life is too short to be little. Dale Carnegie You might never have heard the name of this book before. I didn't until yesterday. And yet it has sold 6 million copies. However, once I tell you who the author is, this will instantly make sense. Dale Carnegie Born in 1888, Carnegie was one of the first published authors in self-improvement having written over 10 books on topics like behavior change, habits, interpersonal skills, public speaking, and applying all of those in a business context. He believed that the best way to change others is to change oneself, a principle that underpinned most of the ideas in his evergreen bestseller How to Win Friends and Influence People, which has sold over 30 million copies to date. This book was published 12 years later, in 1948, and describes several ways to deal with worry, one of the leading causes of illnesses like heart disease, diabetes, and arthritis, stomach ulcers, and high blood pressure. Carnegie delivers several tactics and backs them up with case studies. Here are my three favorite lessons. 1. Use a three-step approach to deal with confusion and you will eliminate the worry caused by it. 2. Put a stop loss on stress and grief. 3. Take criticism as compliments. Ready to let go of your worries so you can start focusing on doing your best today? Let's see what Dale's got up his sleeve. How to stop worrying and start living lesson 1. Clear confusion with a 3-step approach and you'll eliminate the worry it causes. This answers the question, what is one of the key sources of worry and how can we eliminate it? When you're worried, you're not busy doing things. But since taking action is the only thing that can improve your situation, Every minute spent worrying is a minute that doesn't make your life better. But to reduce the amount of worrying in your life, you first have to find its cause. There are several, of course, but one of the biggest ones is confusion. We never know what's going to happen next and it drives us insane. Take Galen Litchfield, for example, who was a civilian and later prisoner of war stuck in Shanghai during World War II, when it was occupied by the Japanese. He'd hidden a few valuable items from them, so when he heard that a Japanese admiral had found out on a Sunday night, he freaked out. He knew what he could expect to be thrown inside the notorious torture chamber of the Japanese secret police on Monday. But he didn't know what that would look like, which caused him a great deal of stress. He used this three-step approach to deal with it. Step 1. Get your facts straight by writing down what you know and what you're worried about. Step 2. Analyze those facts to figure out your options. And step three, make a decision and stick to it. Galen wrote down that he was worried about being tortured to death. And when he asked himself what he could do about it, he came up with either fleeing, explaining himself, or acting like nothing happened. He picked the last option and stuck with it, only to find out the next day that his Japanese admiral had calmed down and made nothing more than an angry remark to him. There's nothing like some good old common sense to disarm your worries. How to stop worrying and start living lesson 2. Put a stop loss on the things in your life that cause you stress, grief and anxiety. 
This answers the question, what is a good technique to quickly turn around stress and grief and anxiety? One thing that's crucial when applying the above strategy is timing. If you spend all of your time analyzing the facts and trying to make a decision, until the thing you're worried about actually happens, you won't have won much. That's where a time limit can help. To implement this, you can adapt an idea from trading and investing, the stop loss. A stop loss is used to limit your financial downside. For example, if you buy 200 stocks for $10 and set your stop loss at $8, your trading software will automatically sell all of your stocks if they fall to 8 or below, ensuring your maximum total loss is kept at $400, which is $2 times 200. If something causes you stress, grief or anxiety, like a friend picking a fight over a stupid topic, a relationship falling apart or your boss telling you you did a bad job, Put your foot down and set a limit. Say, this far and not one step further. Am I going to allow myself to worry about this? This can be a time limit or a general rule like Hal Elrod's 5-minute rule or a guideline to forgive others instantly after a fight instead of holding grudges. How to stop worrying and start living lesson 3. Think of criticism as compliments instead of obsessing about negative feedback. This answers the question, how should I deal with criticism? Critical thinking is important. Feedback is an essential part of doing great work. However, not all criticism is constructive. You have to be careful in deciding who to listen to and who to ignore. One thing you can do with all criticism, though, is take it as a compliment. 90% of the time, people throw around their opinions to make them feel better about themselves. Because they see you doing something right and are threatened by it. We always critique those we envy, so we can feel better by comparison, not so they can do a better job. If anything, the more you're being criticized, the more you know you're doing something right. So hear their comments, nod, thank them, take it as indication you're on the right track, and if there's no constructive feedback in it, just move on. My personal takeaways from How to Stop Worrying and Start Living for 2017. I want to highlight how I'm using two of these lessons and explain one thing I've mentioned in the second that didn't get explained in the lesson. Okay, let me start with the first one. Three-step approach, clear the confusion, get your facts straight, analyze the facts, make a decision. Um, the example was Galen Litchfield, the um, prisoner of war who hid some important objects from the Japanese. Um, Obviously, the faster you can do this, the better. Um, and the, the problem, I think, with this that will arise is not necessarily even the three steps, making a decision. It's in the very last bit, make a decision and stick to it, right? That's one of the last bit, bits that's super problematic. So with me right now, for example, I want to record all of these summaries ahead of time because I want to embed them into each individual summary on the website, right? So I know if I have all the lessons, I can make all I can make a preview for every single summary and then add the preview on SoundCloud or wherever and then uh, embed those previews into the blog posts and update the blog post structure a little bit and so on. The problem with this is th that's a decision I've made, right? Like that's I know I have to do that. The problem is no matter how I crunch and flip the numbers, if how many summaries I can record per day, per week, uh, or and so on, I know it's going to take me somewhere between four and eight weeks to actually get there. 
And in those four to eight weeks, I can't do anything else on the site except the stuff that I already do, right? Because my schedule is so packed. Um, and that keeps me up at night. And I keep worrying about it. And I keep thinking about it. Man, is this fast enough? Can I do it any faster? What else can I do? How can I tweak this? And so on. Can I take another route? And all this, like this worrying is useless. If I spend all that time executing and recording more summaries like I'm doing right now, I would be much faster along. And it's very tough to keep, keep remind yourself of this and to keep this in your head, right? It's not necessarily that getting your facts right and making the decision is the hard part. It's sticking to the decision until it's time to evaluate again, right? So that's important. So keep that in mind. If you're Even if you make up your mind and you make a decision and you struggle with executing or implementing that decision, that's okay. It takes, require, it takes repeated practice. Um, and it takes a lot of reminders uh, to actually stick to your decision, okay? Uh, in the second lesson, I mentioned something that uh, when you say this, for, this stop loss for worrying, that's it, I'm not going to worry anymore, um, could be a time limit, so something like a five-minute thing, right, or two minutes, you're allowed to worry for two minutes, and after that, you have to move on and do the analyze, pick a decision thing, um, or a general rule, um, so Hal Elrod's five-minute rule, what he had was when something bad happened that he had no control over, he could bitch and moan and complain about it for five minutes, and then he would have to move on. So and Hal Elrod, he wrote The Miracle Morning. He's been in a car accident where he, where everyone thought he would never walk again, he would be paralyzed and everything. Um, and when he woke up in the hospital after a coma, after being in a coma for weeks, um, and realized, man, it's like a really shitty situation, I'm probably never going to walk again, uh, and so on. Um, he said, like, okay, I'm going to give myself five minutes to complain, to bitch about this, to worry. And for five minutes, he was like, this is bullshit, this sucks, why me, blah, blah, blah. And after, when those five minutes were up, he said, okay, good, that's it, I'm done, I can't change it, so I might as well go back to being happy. And I think this this is pretty, this sort of stop loss on worrying is pretty similar, right? And I like the minute thing because that really, like, there is no use in it. It's zero ROI of complaining or worrying and anything like that. So you might as well, like, set a very short time limit on it and then move on. And the last one, uh, constructive use criticism as, as compliments or, or as fuel, so to speak, um, to let you get yourself to your goal. Uh, I do that. Uh, I try to do that. I've actually realized that um, while encouragement helps me, uh, this whole being the underdog and showing people that you can... Uh, there's a, I have a calendar with quotes on it. And I haven't flipped like one for every day. And I haven't even flipped through that thing for one year because like on the third day that I got this calendar, I found a quote I loved so much. I left it up there and it's been up there for like two years. And I look at it every morning and uh, translate. it's in German. Translated, it says something like, the greatest pleasure in life is doing that which people tell you you cannot do, right? And... That is fascinating to me and it's become, since I moved to Munich, it's become so much clearer and so much um, stronger that I take, I love negative feedback, I love criticism, I especially love when people tell me you won't make it or you won't, you won't reach that goal. Uh, which rarely happens, actually sadly, because I love taking that as fuel and being like, I'm going to stick it to that person, I'm going to show them, I'm going to prove them wrong, 
because it's really, really powerful. So sometimes I will try to elicit this negative feedback on purpose, right? So Tuesday I was at a party. It was a birthday party. Um, went there late, like at, or not even that late, like at 8, 8 15 p.m. Uh, and everybody kept telling me like, oh, yeah, if we're going to party on Tuesday. And we're not going to do anything Wednesday. We're going to sleep in, blah, blah, blah. And then I talked with my roommate, like, oh, we'll have a 12 a.m. rule. Like, I told him, like, if you go to bed by 12 a.m. every weekday, get up early at 6 and hustle throughout the week, you can take your weekends off, you'll be fine, and you'll get much more done than most people. And then when it was, like, 11.30 p.m., we all had drinks, right? I had a beer, a little bit of, uh, um, what is that, bowl, I guess, Um it's called bowl in Germany. In German, I can't find the word right now. Um, so he said, like, oh, it looks like you're not going to make the 12 a.m. thing, huh? Uh, and then I was like, no. I was like, no, bitch. <laughs> no, bitch. But uh, I can still make the t- make the get up time, right? Because then everyone was like, oh, you know, about getting up early. And I was like, yeah, but like compared to you slackers, I'm still getting up tomorrow at six and I'm still going to work and I'm still doing my thing. Everybody was like, yeah, you'll never make that. It's all right already, but it's only five hours of sleep, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, bullshit, guys. Like, watch Instagram tomorrow. I posted my story. Uh, and I did. And so I think that's really cool. That's really powerful. And sometimes you can play a little around, play around a little and not take things too seriously, right? And then you'll try to, like, get somebody to, like, uh, like, give you this criticism or negative feedback and then uh, say, like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to do that anyway. It's powerful. It's powerful once you figure it out. All right. I hope that's been helpful. Hope you enjoyed the summary. Uh, not the most popular book by Dale Carnegie, obviously, but definitely worth reading. Um, I liked it. Very good one. And I will see you on the next summary.